we continue worshiping this morning, we invite you to turn into your Bible apps or your Bible to the words of the Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Let us receive the word of God. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas? And Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went among the villages teaching. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear their sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, Stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. It could be the type of situation where someone goes home and they just know you too well to take you seriously. The kind of place where anytime you start talking about something serious, someone responds with a story like, Oh, I remember when you were just a little feller running around, balking a giant yellow bowl on your head. And you just run around saying bonk, 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 tapping the bowl on your head like a giant hat. I'm not saying that was my son or anything. Uh, it was me. I, it can be hard to lead those who know you best. Brian, feel free to block all the comments from my parents. All right. In Jesus' case today, the problem was less an issue of uh, lovingly nostalgic family members, and more an issue of proper place. Dr. Emerson Powery, in his commentary on this week's text, reminds us of the functions of honor and shame in Mark's society. He points out that the crowd in this sequence questions and points to Jesus's brothers and sisters and mother, but no mention of a father figure which is the clue showing that the crowd challenges Jesus's authority by shaming him 
based on his perceived illegitimate conception, affirming his low standing in the community. That direct insult is first and foremost an effort to end the conversation or the teachings. Some, or at least enough of the crowd, center their own feelings and objections to his teachings and use that insult to scandalize and discredit this otherwise powerful, wise teacher. The community, as a function of structured life together, has deemed this uncontrollable aspect of Jesus' identity to be sufficient cause for him to have low standing or no authority. Overly familiar neighbors or truly scandalous public assertiveness, the point is to stop hearing this prophetic teaching. So often in Mark, it's Jesus' actions and teaching that are the real offense and scandal for anyone hearing or watching. This is especially true for those holding power and privileged positions of leadership, such as the priests who twisted systems of purity and death to their own advantage, Roman colonizers and collaborators who benefited from taking land, labor, and goods if, say, tribute or taxes weren't or couldn't be paid, or even the zealots whose efforts were more geared to a militaristic takeover of the system for their own advantage. As long as I'm in charge, it'll be fine. Jesus seems to have had very annoying stance of non-alignment with any of those groups and strategies and very often criticized them, if not outright undermined them. This is how Jesus brought his faith and message into the intersections of the public square. And I suppose it could have gone better. Hearing a challenging message this age or any age does not seem to produce such a different result. A queer voice in the United Methodist Church, if they're out, a homeless voice for housing, if it means higher taxes, a black voice for police reform, if it's too loud, Latinx voice for citizenship, if they weren't straight A students, a resident of public housing's voice, really anywhere, about anything, saying anything if it sounds too political. While not comprehensive or perfect as a metaphor, we still see voices like these muted or not prioritized in the public square. The crowd of the public square is still adept at finding a reason not to act upon or even receive a message from or about the vulnerable, and I am very often in the crowd. But the consequences of a lack of openness to prophetic messages for liberation in any age remain too deadly to hold our silence or maintain our refusal to receive a word of challenge. Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Again, Powery points out that operating within an honor-shame society, prophets were generally ones who would receive honor, but prophets usually operating in a place where they are less known. However, for that to be true in someone's hometown, it likely, and for Jesus in this case, 
means taking a space or share of honor from someone else and above his appointed birth share. At least that's the fear of those in power. It remains that the point here was to keep Jesus's message from taking root and Jesus himself and anyone else from moving up or down the ladder. I'm struck at the notion of the message and ministry doing better outside one's hometown. I'm left with this thought about how different or perhaps impossible would it have been for someone like James Baldwin if he wasn't writing from Paris or how that ripple of hope speech that Robert Kennedy gave in South Africa would not have had the same reception in South Boston. This was not a right time, right place thing in Jesus' case. He could do no deed of power. He could do no deed of power, fine. But he was still making his way around and curing sick people, it seems, despite the crowd's unbelief. And these acts of healing are made to sound almost small in our narrative, but I assure you they were community shifting in nature. Last week, Pastor Kelly's sermon included the story of the woman with a 12-year hemorrhage, but for anyone who was ill or unclean, they became subject to purity laws and rituals. They were held out of community participation, and as a matter of becoming hopefully clean again or to attempt to atone for transgressing the purity laws, would have to render payment or sacrifice. For the woman with the hemorrhage and for someone like a farm worker or tradesman who comes in contact almost daily with blood or manure or viral contagions, they could be in a repetitious state of uncleanliness and relentlessly subject to requirements of payment or sacrifice or risk being excluded from the community. But you got to work. I'll oversimplify here. These medical bills could drive and keep already vulnerable people in a cycle of poverty and further sickness because their work or personhood, talking about menstruation, simply exposed them more often and they couldn't afford to get out. There was a system meant to help in hardship situations, a required debt system where some goods from everyone were put into a centralized place, a synagogue or a temple, and those goods could be redistributed should the need arise. The goods could be sent out in times of famine or war or community need. However, it was controlled by the same religious leaders as the purity systems, and either from apathy, corruption, or a perverse incentive to maintain their own financial flow, the debt system meant to help started to contribute further to people's suffering. James Newton, polling in Render Unto God, notes that restoring purity was expensive. When Jesus helped such people, he was bypassing the purity system and objecting to the debt system that contributed to the poverty of the poor. So let's try this again. Jesus goes into his home synagogue, 
a public square for all manner of activity, religious, political, economic. He begins teaching to anyone listening, including those in charge, those whose responsibility it is to see to the well-being of the community, whose responsibility it is to care for the sick per the purity laws, to care for the poor per the law and through the reciprocity and debt system. Those who often found themselves called upon to maintain order under threat or on behalf of the Romans and everyone else, including some likely harmed directly by the ways those systems had been twisted. He spoke with authority and he taught with wisdom. And he talked about systems of oppression. And he was insulted and likely run out. So he started messing with people's money. Healed a few sick people. He was astounded at their unbelief but he couldn't open them up. That's my phrasing. He could do no deed of power. Jesus' faith is rooted in that baseline understanding. Love the Lord your God and love the neighbor as yourself. In so doing, we ensure, save for our excess, that the good creation indeed has enough to meet every economic, physical, or spiritual need anyone might have. Jesus' faith is one of liberation for those who suffer. That liberation doesn't come from prayers to the donkey or the elephant or to the bronze eagle of the Roman Empire, but in a powerful and vulnerable act of opening oneself up to the possibility of God's work in the world opening to the prophetic messages already and always out there, opening ourselves up to the possibility that I might be part of the crowd and beneficiary of twisted systems, recognizing there's grace even for me, opening ourselves up to the fact that God calls and can use us no matter what anyone else may deem insufficient about your personhood or what names they want to call you. God is interested in the discourse and the systems at play at the public square. Jesus' ministry is at once and always spiritual and political in that it cares for how we have life and how we have life together. This encounter at the synagogue becomes the playbook for sending out the disciples. Hometown ministry or anywhere else. In the final verses today, Jesus instructs the disciples to pare themselves down in dress and resource. Take no bag, take no money. Essentially, take no pretense no high or low expectation. Keep yourself open to what you will encounter. Be organized with partners. Go to places and build relationships. Listen and help name what is broken, what is unjust, and what needs healing. 
say it even to the powerful of the public square. And if the crowd refuses to be open, move on to the next leader, to the next house, even just to the next day or opportunity to speak words of life in spaces where they're desperately needed. God is interested in the discourses and systems at play in the public square. God asks us to live our faith at this intersection. God knows twisted power's effects intimately living and experiencing it through Jesus' life and ministry and death. And God knows intimately how the crowd reacts and rejects and finds excuses. But none of that can stop God's power for healing and liberation. Be of good courage because the God who knows and loves this whole creation knows and loves you and goes ever before you. Amen.